Like I said, I've just been so blessed with Pastor Stevens. Uh, I've just, uh, he's just a great man of God, and I just have had an opportunity to be uh, a, a disciple and a friend. And so let's welcome him as he comes, Pastor Paul Stevens. All right, thank you very, very much. I'm so, again, appreciative. It's my privilege to do what I do. I'm the one blessed here tonight, and I'm very grateful for the invitation, the relationship I have with uh, Keith and Carrie and their family and her parents are here. Uh, They started attending the church on the Cape 40 years or so ago, and it's a great blessing to have them here as well. Turn with me to Revelation 21. I love this sermon. I love everything I preach, but this sermon in particular, um, I, I like and love this message I'm going to preach to you. It might be beneficial if somehow I could take you all to hell right now. Yeah, just for a split second. That might be enough to get you to live for God. What do you think? And to take living for God seriously and not to do anything to jeopardize the rewards that are going to come if we serve God successfully on this earth. If I could just have a a nanosecond in hell with you all, that might just do it. No more whining, no more complaining, no more sniveling, no more sinning, no more compromise. Uh, We're going to get as far as we can away from anything that would risk our going to hell. Well, I'm not going to do that tonight. I can't. But what I want to do is I want to try and take you to heaven. That's what I want to do. I woke up one morning a number of months ago... Wondering what is heaven going to be like? Because it is a physical experience. It's a place we're going to. We will have an emotional element to our being and, of course, a spiritual dimension to our lives. And so we're going to fully experience heaven. What is that going to be like? I want to know. I want to know, will it benefit me to meditate on this and try to go to heaven as best as I can based on what the Bible tells us about heaven? Because I can assure you that there's more to heaven than what each and every one of you thinks right now. And that's where my thoughts and my inspiration took me. It actually took me to a place where I could experience heaven to some measure here and now. You know, Paso, I probably live closer to hell than I do to heaven. It was 107 degrees there today. Does God want us to know more about heaven than what you know now? Is there a way of experiencing heaven here on earth? As I said, heaven is a physical place. We're going to explore that in a moment. Heaven is a place where you're going to feel very powerful and very positive and very pleasant and very explosive emotion. And of course, as I said, it's spiritual. So I think this will be a worthwhile exercise. And my hope is that you're going to leave here happy, fulfilled, looking forward to something that God talks a lot about in the Scripture. And I think most of all tonight, my objective would be that we would be unwilling, absolutely unwilling to do anything that might jeopardize or risk you and I experiencing heaven. So let's go there. Would you go there with me tonight? Or try to? All right, let's read our text in Revelation 21, 
beginning in verse 1. This is John speaking. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now we're talking about the experience of heaven. God will wipe away every tear. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And Jesus, who sat on the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And Jesus said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Pray with me right now. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for this Great opportunity to minister on this glorious subject. Father, I pray for the spirit of revelation to be at work in our hearts, Lord. Give us a glimpse. Give us revelation. Give us what the experience of heaven is going to be like tonight. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. So let me first of all talk about what we know and what we most often say when someone asks what heaven is going to be like, and that is uh, that heaven is a physical place uh, with physical attributes. Now, I want to mention the physical attributes, but that's not the primary way that we are going to experience heaven. In John chapter 14, Jesus gives a, a very succinct description uh, to his disciples uh, about what heaven is going to be like and what it's going to look like uh, and what some of the physical attributes are going to be. Let not your heart be troubled, John 14, 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. He's talking about a place. A place has a where. It has a location. To get there, you have to go or you have to be taken on a journey there. The scripture uses the term mansions or many mansions. That word that Jesus used describes a dwelling place that he is going to create or make for us. And in fact, he's preparing your mansion with your address and your name on it in heaven for you right now. That is Jesus's activity in heaven. The word place simply refers to a, a region or an inhabited area like a city or a county or a state or a village or a district. Now, words matter very much. Jesus used very particular and very specific words so that you can begin to imagine what heaven is going to be like. If I describe to you uh, uh, what Disneyland would be like or what uh, the beaches of Florida are like, uh, and I use particular words that you can relate to, uh, you would be able to imagine that without having seen any pictures. Uh, and so that's the purpose here. We can visualize. 
And when you're made to visualize something, you can then anticipate it. If I said, let's go to the beach, or I'm going to take you to the beach, and you've never been there, uh, you wouldn't have any kind of uh, uh, anxious anticipation for it. But if I described it uh, in detail with words that you could understand and relate to, then you could imagine it, and then you would be made to want to be there or to go there. The Bible says, as I mentioned, that Jesus is preparing. So right now, during the time of the Gentiles, for the last 2,000 years, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, and heaven is getting ready for our arrival. When a dignitary visits a city or a country, a lot of preparations are made in order for that to occur. I remember when one of the popes visited Juarez a number of years ago, just across the border in Mexico, they spent $2 million uh, building a stage and a throne uh, that he would sit on. And this is what uh, the scripture is saying, uh, that preparations are being made for you specifically uh, and for you personally. And then the book of Revelation, of course, gives us much more of the physical attributes. The Bible says that heaven is a place with streets. You know what that means. It's a place with buildings. It's a place that has light. There's a river, and there are trees. Those are all words uh, that the Bible uses because we're familiar with them. And it helps us imagine what heaven is going to be like. Verse 5 of our text. Then Jesus, who sat on the throne, said, Behold, I make. Heaven is a made place. It is a created place. And in verse 22, a little further from where I read, But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated it. So there's going to be light. Heaven is going to be lit up. It's going to be a lit place. And the Bible says the Lamb of God, Jesus, is that light. The Bible says there's going to be a river in heaven with special trees. Verse 1 of our uh, of chapter 22, the next chapter, uh, and he showed me, the angel showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So all of that imagery gives us the ability to imagine to some degree. I don't know that we can totally, fully imagine actually, but trees and rivers and light and buildings. And uh, and uh, in Revelation 21, again, a little further from where I read, the Bible says that 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So that gives us an idea of the physical attributes of heaven, and we can spend time meditating, pondering, imagining, reading that, and then thinking about what it's actually going to be like. But more importantly, what I'm concerned about is the actual experience of heaven. What is it going to be like to be there? Now, I have to say, none of you are ready to go to heaven right now. Does that shock you? It does me. I don't want to go to heaven with this. I am 69 years old. I have aches and pains. I have no air. I struggle with my weight. I have a few physical. I'm, I don't want to be like this for eternity. 
So in that sense, we're not ready for heaven. We're born again. We're saved. Our sins are forgiven. But the Bible describes one incredible event that is going to happen first between now and when we actually arrive and are walking the streets of gold. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruptible, this dying, hair-losing, weight-gaining body is going to be transformed into a body that is going to last for all of eternity. We shall be changed, incorruptible. We must put on incorruption. This mortal, which is what we are now, you can't go to heaven as a mortal being dying, aging, prone to sickness and accidents and disease. That's all going to be changed in a moment's time. So once we are there, in our immortal selves, what is it going to be like? The actual physical, emotional, and spiritual experience of heaven. We like being in special places for the experience of it if you go on a vacation. You may like the mountains, rivers, streams, and lakes. You may like the beach. You may like Disneyland. We go to special places for the experience of it. So there are six attributes of the experience of heaven that I want to share with you this evening. Beyond the physical dynamics of heaven... These are the emotional, the spiritual dynamics of what it's going to be like to experience heaven. First of all, you are going to feel and express overwhelming gratitude perpetually. You will never think about what you don't have. You'll never be ungrateful for what you do have. You'll never think about what you're missing out on. If you do, maybe you need to go to hell. (laughs) You'll never have the sense that there's any lack or any need or any want. You will only be eternally and overwhelmingly grateful. That's an emotional and a spiritual experience. And that feeling will never leave you. Here it does. There are occasions when, for example, somebody does something nice for us, we're thankful, we take him out, we buy him a gift, and that expression of gratitude is a good feeling. But it comes and goes because we got to live life. We get sick, we have needs, we have problems, we have pressures. And in, in our lives here and now, our sense of gratitude can be a little bit fleeting. But in heaven, it's going to be perpetual. It's going to always be wanting expression. That's why worship and praise is going to be a a 24-hour-a-day expression and experience of heaven. Constantly on our lips, it's going to be thanksgiving and gratitude. And that is going to remain at all times. You'll never one single time have a thought about something you'd like to have but don't. Something you do have but you wish it was better. Revelation eleven seventeen, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. These are the saints in heaven. The one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. In Revelation chapter 7, we have the testimony of the saints that got saved after the rapture and were martyred. They had to die for their faith, and they're going to be in heaven. And the Bible says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and people, and tongues, standing before the throne and of the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever 
forever and ever. Amen. Those are people that God, how grateful are they going to be? How perpetually thankful are they going to be in heaven along with us? Secondly, the Bible says there'll be no more tears. How much of your life do you weep over? Are you sad or grieved or frustrated about? How much sadness, frustration, grief, and sorrow, anxiety, darkness, and oppression, and vexation occupies your life? David wrote about this. It occupied a lot of his life. He said, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. In heaven, there will not be ever anything to grieve over. You'll never be sad. You'll never experience sorrow. You won't know what that is like anymore. There will be no more pain, no more grief, nothing to grieve over ever again. Our text says God will wipe away every tear. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. They've evaporated. They're gone. Whatever is the source of your grief and frustration and sorrow right now will evaporate. And you'll never, ever again for all of eternity have anything to be sad over. You'll never feel sadness. You'll never feel grief. You'll never feel emotional pain. You'll never be shredded inside because of something someone has said or done or hurt you in some way or some loss you've experienced. Thirdly, you will have perfect fellowship and only love for all who are there. How much of your life right now is occupied by upset with someone? You're mad, you're angry, someone's hurt you, you've cut off a friend, you don't talk to somebody. Relational conflict. In heaven, there will be no offense. There will never again be a reason for you to be angry with anyone. You won't know what that's like anymore. Only love. Only valuing one another. No conflict whatsoever at any time for all of eternity. You will never again be angry with anyone, and no one will ever be angry with you. You won't be able to upset anyone in heaven. And no one will be capable of upsetting you. There'll be no selfishness, no pride, no jealousy, no vengeance, none of those attributes that cause pain in our relationships. How many friends or even family members have you had in life that you no longer have contact with? There's been a misunderstanding or an offense. Someone's hurt you. You have lingering anger and unforgiveness. And how much does that occupy our thinking and produce negative and even toxic emotions? In heaven, you won't be capable of such things. There won't be any hint of pride or insecurity, or fear, or jealousy, or discrimination, or competition, or vengeance. You'll never again be angry with or frustrated with anyone. What that's, what's that going to be like? Only love. Only goodwill. Only valuing everyone who is there. And the Bible gives us a picture of that in Revelation 7, 9. And these uh, things, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Think of how many conflicts in the world there are. National borders are, are, are places of conflict. Tribes within countries are, 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 are violence and warfare. And the Bible says all nations and 
tribes and peoples and tongues standing around the throne together, worshiping the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You will only be able to love. You will not be able to be angry. Fourthly, we're going to have perfect fellowship with God. In some ways, it will be like we're the only one in heaven. You will have access to stand in his presence and look into his eyes and have him look into your eyes and have perfect fellowship, perfect relationship, perfect interaction with God in a way that we can't now. We have relationship now, but it's limited. It's limited by the physical world, by the reach of our current spiritual life. His eyes will look right through you and see everything that's inside, every attitude, every thought, every amount. Right now, we'd be nervous about that. But then you won't be. He'll look right into your eyes, know everything about you, and you won't be afraid. There'll be nothing to hide. There'll be no secrets you feel guilt over. Nothing you're trying to shield and cover and conceal like we do now. We hide our bad attitudes, even from our own spouses sometimes. Family members, brethren, pastor. But Jesus will look into your eyes, see everything that's inside of you. And it'll all be good. Because you're going to be clothed with his righteousness. The robes that we wear are robes that he provides for us. First John puts it this way, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and, is not, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We don't see him that way yet. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What does that mean exactly? Well, all I can say is how we see Jesus now is not how we're going to see him then. It's going to be different. We can't see him like that. The Amplified Translation says, Beloved, we are even here and now the children of God, but it has not yet been made clear what we will be after his coming. We know that when he comes and he is revealed, we will as his children be like him because we will see him just as he is in all of his glory. Seeing him in all of his glory, being able to interact with him in a very personal, intimate, close way, as though we are the only ones in heaven. That's going to blow our minds. Fifthly, you are going to have the very best job, the most satisfying work, an occupation for all of eternity. You might say, what? I have to work in heaven? If you don't want to work, you might have to go to hell. But in heaven, you're going to have an occupation. Work is God's plan from the very beginning. Before sin, God created Adam with a job to do. Genesis says God created man. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, be uh, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the birds of the air and every, every living thing. That's quite a, quite a job description that God gave Adam. And most Bible scholars uh, uh, describe his job as extending the Garden of Eden throughout the whole earth. Adam had a task. He had an occupation. He had a job. So what is our occupation in heaven? What are you going to do? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Not with all the details, but it uses two distinct words that have meaning for us so that we can imagine. Revelation 22, 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. 
You're going to be directly accountable to God for service to accomplish certain tasks. That's what servants do. They accomplish a task. They follow the orders that is given by whomever they are serving. And you're going to be directly connected to God for the purpose of serving in a particular dimension in heaven for all of eternity. The word means specifically to perform sacred services for a king. There's a big difference between being a household servant and serving a king or serving a president or some higher level. And the Bible says we are going to be in the court of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You and I are going to serve him. Uh, the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. So our imagination can only go so far. We can't imagine all the service-oriented tasks that we're going to be given, but it's enough to say we're going to serve the very King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that's going to be the highest privilege, and the satisfaction of that is going to last for all of eternity. The second word that is used in Revelation 22.5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So it's serving But it's also reigning and ruling. The Bible says, or the description of that word, or the definition of that word means to govern, to exercise kingly authority, and to exercise the highest influence. Government servants, it's what we call them, public service is a common term used for those who serve, for example, in the president of the United States cabinet. They serve, but they also have authority, and they rule over the Department of Justice, the Defense Department, uh, and so forth. Uh, And so the Bible says that our occupation in heaven is going to be those two things. We're going to serve, but we're also going to reign and rule and express His authority in whatever realm uh, God gives us to express that authority. And then sixthly, there is the anticipation of the unknown. The glory of heaven, our knowledge of God, and the experience of heaven is going to be unfolding for all of eternity, uh, taking us into new and greater experiences uh, and dimensions of heaven. That scripture that I just quoted in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, we can't fathom, we can't imagine, but we can look forward to it knowing that it's going to be good. A lot of people, maybe some of you, have a lot of fear and foreboding about your future. Am I going to get sick and die? Am I going to have enough money to pay the rent, to survive, to live? Look what COVID did. COVID gave people fear for the future. My children are going to die. I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to lose my wife. The whole world went insane with fear about what this pandemic was going to do to us. In heaven, you will never, ever again for all of eternity anticipate anything bad happening in the future. You won't know what that's like because it will only be good and better. There will be an overwhelming anticipation of what's next, what's coming. What am I going to learn? What am I going to see? What am I going to experience? And you're going to be overwhelmed with an emotional rush of anticipation. Like you're on an airplane on your way to land at Disneyland or the beach or somewhere you want to go and experience. But so much greater than that. And you'll never again think bad things are going to happen to me. I'm not going to have enough. I fear the future. What, what's going to become? You'll never have that thought ever again for all of eternity. So what good does all this do us tonight? Well, if nothing else, I've enjoyed myself tonight. Thinking about, preaching about, meditating on these things has enhanced once again my appreciation for God and for what he has planned for us. But what practical good 
is it for us to live our lives with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, which is what I'm suggesting we do. Number one, here are the two benefits. Number one, don't do anything that will jeopardize your going to heaven. Stop the foolishness and the sin and the compromise and the bad attitudes and the anger and the rage and the unforgiveness and indulging in drugs and alcohol again and feeling sorry for you. Stop doing things that could jeopardize you going to heaven. We can get pretty careless about how we live. Too much about ourselves and not enough about Jesus. Too many excuses and not enough repentance. And maybe at this altar tonight, what we need to do is polish our walk with God at this altar and make get ourselves a little more ready or at least as ready as we possibly can. The second benefit is that we can help each other get to heaven. We can help each other get better. You see a bad attitude in someone, one of your brethren... Try to bring correction. Are you insane? What are you talking nonsense for? Leaving the church and going back to sin and God's not real. Have you lost your flaming mind? We need to help each other maintain our trajectory toward heaven. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And what if you could be responsible For getting someone to heaven. Paul said, you are my joy and my delight and my reward. Seeing people in heaven that are there because of your efforts, your witness, your labor. It's your job. Don't ever forget this. It's your job to get people saved. Do you know that 95% of all Christians have never won a single soul to Christ? 80% think that evangelism is optional. It's your job to get people to heaven. What's more important than that? Why has that been cast aside by so many people? We live life... There's a lot of things that we're urgent about. We're urgent about the care of our children, our husbands, our wives, our jobs, making money, our health. We're urgent about a lot of things. Why aren't we urgent about getting people to heaven? What if you could be responsible? You might have somebody banging on your door, your mansion in heaven. Oh, it's you again. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you because I'm here because of you. See you later. Heaven and hell should be part of our witness. That really does get people's attention. When I preached this sermon, I started utilizing it more in how I witness to people. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Most people believe in both. And it provides an opportunity and an open door to bring a serious witness that has a cutting edge and brings conviction. It should be a part of our witness. So consider the opposite of everything I just said for a minute. Let me take you to hell. Never again for all of eternity... Not one single time will you know what it is to be grateful. You'll never have that feeling again. There will be always and perpetual grief, sorrow, and pain. And it will never lift. There will be no escape. Feelings of regret, bitterness... Anger, hatred, every kind of toxic emotion that you can fathom will be the permanent and eternal disposition of everyone in hell. You'll have no ability to love and worship God. You just simply will not be able to cry out to Him. You'll never have the impulse to pray or worship. It'll be gone. God's not there. 
You'll never feel his presence. You can't pray. You won't feel like praying. You won't have the impulse to pray and cry out to God. And it'll be perpetual suffering. And there'll never be anything meaningful or fulfilling that will ever again be experienced in your life. There'll be no satisfying labor and occupation and effort. And you will only have fear, terror, and foreboding about the future. You'll never think anything good is going to happen. It can't. It won't. Only fear and foreboding about the future. You'll never, ever, ever, for all of eternity, ever be able to look forward to anything good happening. And that will never go away. Heaven, however, (laughs) is for everyone. Heaven helps us cope with life. We all have unpleasant experiences, but we have one foot already in heaven. Hopefully, I've helped you put that foot in heaven by describing the experience of it. And that's your hope. Verse 6 of our text, Jesus said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to everyone who thirsts. Him who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's the relationship that we're going to have with God for all of eternity. Someone said these words, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Consider Stephen. He preaches this incredible sermon in Acts chapter 7 under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. None of them get saved. In fact, they drag him outside the city gate and they pick up stones and they begin to stone him. That probably has to be the worst possible experience of life as these stones uh, the size of a man's fist are being hurled toward him uh, and pummeling him until he dies. But he has one foot in heaven and so he can bear it. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. This is while rocks are pummeling him. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, look. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. A vision of heaven and getting familiar with the experience of it is going to help you bear up under the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions and the difficulties and the setbacks and the hardships of life. Stephen already had one foot in heaven while the rocks were pummeling him and he was able to bear it with joy and with victory and he leaves us that wonderful testimony and legacy. I want to know what heaven is going to be like. And after I woke up with that question and pondered that and meditated and prayed and went to the Word of God and put this sermon together, I feel like I've gained a little bit of heaven here on earth. And I hope you have too. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around for a moment. Why don't we? Why don't we bring more of heaven on earth by being more grateful, more loving, more forgiving? You know, a lot of how you behave is not going to be happening in heaven. You're angry. That won't happen in heaven. You're frustrated, grieving, vexed, and sad. That's not going to happen in heaven. You've cut people off. That activity won't be part of what the heavenly experience is like. We should make an effort to bring a little bit of heaven on earth in our world, in our relationships and circumstances. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, perhaps you've come to church tonight and maybe you're not right with God. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have not yet been forgiven of your sin and born again. And hell is the possibility and the probability of where you're headed. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. There's only two options when you die and one is heaven and the other is hell. Hell is retribution and punishment for sin. Heaven is reward for those who have received Jesus Christ 
as her Lord and Savior, been forgiven of their sin, been born again, and to their best ability lived a godly life. There's reward for you. And as our heads are bowed, I want you to ponder. If for a nanosecond I could take you to hell, and maybe you've got a little taste of it tonight by looking at all the opposites that hell is going to be characterized by. Yeah. Why would you want to jeopardize going to heaven? Why Why would you want to hold bitterness against someone, risk backsliding for drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever reason? Why would you do that? It's crazy, isn't it? Heaven is our home. That's the prepared place for a prepared people that Jesus is working on right now. There's a mansion with your name on it. Don't jeopardize that. With compromise and sin. And we are God's grand and great rescue operation. We are a colony of heaven on earth whose objective is to extract people that are on their way to hell. Why aren't we more urgent about that task? It's your job to get people saved. You are God's answer for the world. You know what others don't. Jesus is coming very soon. Heaven and hell are very real. You have to make that known to people. You have to make them think about their eternity. Why don't we do more of that? Why aren't we more urgent about the task of evangelism? In Jesus' name. So as our heads are bowed, if you're here this evening and you're not right with God, I want to help you and I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to work a miracle in your life tonight like he worked in my life and in Renee's life 47 years ago. You can be born again tonight. Your sins can be forgiven. Right now you're living on earth, but you've got one foot in hell because if you died, that's where you'd end up. But you can have one foot in heaven by the time you leave. And I'm not talking about... Um, uh, being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I'm talking about being a responsible citizen on earth, uh, fulfilling our calling and our responsibilities, uh, but also having a vision of heaven and keeping one foot in eternity and making sure that we're not doing anything to jeopardize. So as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and you want to make a decision, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are ready to repent of your sin and tell God how sorry you are for the wrong that you've done. I can help you tonight. I needed help when I wanted to get saved and receive Jesus. I needed Pastor Harold Warner to help me and to pray with me. And that's what we want to do for you tonight. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to believe God to work a, a miracle in your life the way he worked a miracle in my life. In Jesus' name. So if that describes you tonight, and you want to give your life to Christ, I want you to do one simple thing. I want you to lift your hand right up. Pastor, pray for me. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you have jeopardized going to heaven for some foolish, compromising decision, attitude. And you're ready to repent. Oh, God, I've been living carelessly. I've been risking eternity over foolishness. And I want to repent, get right, rededicate my life to Christ. Would you lift your hand right now? In the name of Jesus. All right. I want to open the altars tonight. I think the altar should be twofold. One, let's polish. You know how shoes get a little scuffed? Our life can get a little scuffed. Attitudes that are not of God can creep in. Thoughts and imaginations that don't reflect the virtue of Christ can get a foothold. Jesus is coming for a people that are as thoroughly right with him as they can be. And we can be right with God because we have so many altar calls. So much opportunity to repent. So much preaching and ministry. So much of God's word. So much revelation whose objective is to bring conviction under repentance. We're not far from eternity, folks. My wife hates it when I say, and I did it about two years ago, 
I made the declaration that I have 10 years to live according to mortality rates for males in America. The mortality rate is 78. I'm 69. That is nine years. She rebuked me. Why did you have to say that? But that's how I live. I'm fully aware. Most of my earthly life is behind me, not in front of me. Maybe I could live 20 or 30, but still, I mean, time flies so fast. Take opportunity to come to this altar and polish. Leave behind every attitude and thought and imagination that is not of God. And then the second feature is I'm going to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost to put an urgency in your heart to get people saved. Like we ministered on Tuesday night, I believe. It's not that difficult. Step outside of yourself, have a concern for soul. Jesus looked at people and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That's a desperate condition. Sheep without a shepherd won't survive. They're going to die. They're going to be shredded by wolves, by different kinds of dangers that are out there that they can't defend themselves against. They need a shepherd to care for them. And we are that shepherd. We are the extension of God's shepherding love for lost souls. And I wonder who around you is reachable. A family member, someone at work or school. Maybe someone you see regularly when you go shopping and you have kind of a, hi, how are you? How are the kids kind of relationship, but you've never invited them to church yet? Neighbors, people that live next door to you. We got to get people to heaven. That's the urgency of the hour. Let's all stand tonight. I want you to come. Let's find a place to pray and talk to God about the need of our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah.